Hello and welcome to the Your Gym Big Sister podcast. I hope you are having a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you happen to be listening to this and welcome to today's episode. So today is a very, very special episode. I have a guest on with me. I don't often bring guests on and today is also my very first male guest, which is exciting. So I have the wonderful Brian O'Hengasa. He is an Irish nutrition coach. He is very, very well respected. He is a member of Triage Method and he is very much well known for his work in this sort of relationship with food area. And this is something I get questions about a lot, you know, how to build a better relationship with food, how I improved my own relationship with food. And I thought for a topic this big and something that I know a lot of people struggle with, I wanted to get somebody on that I trust, that I know knows his shit basically and the first person that came to mind was Brian um so Brian welcome to the show thank you so much for coming on thank you so much Emma appreciate the uh, the kind intro um you're probably yeah you must be one of the, the only guests that has not asked me how to pronounce my surname just before we start recording so no well, I I have I I'm pretty sure before like like ages ago when um Shane was working with you I was like how do you say his second name um no I'm so big on that whenever I have a client come on who has like a slightly different name I'm always like I need you to tell me exactly how to pronounce this because I don't want to be that person who calls you the wrong name for this entire coaching relationship that would be awkward um but why don't you give the people a bit of a background on you just kind of tell them you know who you are what you do maybe a little bit about who you help and what got you into this world I suppose yeah 100 percent um so I started off getting interested in nutrition um when I was a teenager uh, as a lot of us are and I started going to the gym at age 16 originally to um support sports performance because uh, I was quite skinny uh, as a teen as a kid and stuff so you know I started doing that and then I was interested in the role that nutrition had in you know results and progress like a lot of people are um and then just got very interested more and more in in the nutrition side of things so decided I would go ahead with that as a degree like finishing school going to college I uh, did a bachelor's in human nutrition and then I was pretty aware that I wanted to work with people in some sort of one-to-one capacity and like this obviously this coaching thing that we do now um so that's what I had in mind so I did some you know nutrition coaching courses and then you know I started working online doing nutrition coaching with uh in a one-to-one capacity um back then it was mostly like body composition mostly sports performance stuff but then yeah as time goes on like you kind of develop more experience obviously develop more coaching skills and I I mean I've I've worked with a lot of a lot of different types of people different types of goals so you know it, can, it still can be the the body composition stuff it still can be the sports performance stuff um but also things like uh you know health conditions like PCOS and uh, IBS of extra training uh in the, like digestive management and stuff like that as well so I mean it all kind of interests me so I'm not like in one specific niche however if I was to put myself in a bit of a niche it is as you said this kind of relationship with food helping people with their disordered eating habits and things like that um and I suppose I just in terms of how I got into that I suppose it, you start to see it obviously as you coach more people you start to see different things crop up and I always you know I've I've clients that uh 
I mentor like their coaches as well right so I always tell them like you will come across something for the first time like by default and you won't have come across it before necessarily um so you go and then you you know do some investigation or you try and get some extra knowledge on, on how to help someone with that sort of thing that applies to everything but um I just became very interested in this overlap of like psychology and behavior and how that influences you know nutrition and, and health and stuff like that so and I mean some of that is is grounded in you know I'm interested in philosophy uh you know like yourself and you know reading stuff about that and and kind of gravitating towards like CBT and or EBT like just kind of liking those modalities as like therapeutic approaches and you know some of that was just for my own kind of um knowledge but then you know you, you start applying this stuff to people as well and start to get good results with this stuff um and I suppose then just learning more about things like binge eating and uh, disordered eating overall and body image is a really big one in that as well that I've upskilled on in the last uh, few years so yeah it's it's I mean I really enjoy that type of work like I enjoy all, all the work that I do but it's it's extremely fulfilling to work with people on that stuff because you know you, and I, not to downplay like body composition changes like people getting in great shape like that is obviously very important to those people but I, I just get a lot of you know fulfillment satisfaction out of helping someone break through those barriers that they're having with their relationship with food not having disordered eating behaviors not having anxiety around food or food situations and not being really hung up on this stuff where it's really you know dragging down certain elements of their life so yeah it's um it's really rewarding and it's also quite challenging as well which you know adds to the enjoyment of it right um and you know so all that stuff so much so now that i've i've started a master's in um cbt uh psychotherapy and counseling so just simply to learn more about this stuff get like a more formalized education around this this side of things um so that's i'm only like i think this is my yeah this is my third week into the into the master's program so really enjoying it so far um and looking forward to the rest so that's kind of my spiel in terms of how i got to this point that is, yeah, that, and I think something that you said there is so interesting, like obviously you did your bachelor's in nutrition and I think there's a lot of coaches who maybe do their, you know, their basic nutrition degree and they're like, okay, I know what macros are now. I can coach people. And I think the longer you get into this, the more you start to realize that is the least important part of coaching people. Like the gap between basic nutrition knowledge and understanding how to get people to apply things and then understanding why people don't do things even when they know it's best for them because I know even as a coach myself I've had my own moments of frustration of like why won't you just do this you know and I like and I think every coach can probably get it and especially uh someone like me okay like I'm a, I'm a bodybuilder I'm like stick to the plan it's easy but I also know I haven't always been that way and I had my own struggles and I think sometimes it's easy to kind of forget that and to forget that there is such a huge psychological component like do you have any kind of advice because I'm sure there's probably maybe coaches listening to this now who are like Jesus do I have to do a master's in psychology to be able to be a good nutrition coach but is there any maybe like first steps or kind of you know little bits of advice you would give a coach who maybe does want to delve into that a little bit more um, and start to learn that so that they can better serve their clients is there any like places that you would go um to start with there to kind of start to start rather than being like I'm just going to google cbt or I'm just going to google or ebt because 
again I even I've done that before and I've been like oh god this is very complicated so yeah would you have any advice maybe to like a budding young coach who's thinking I want to learn more about this side of it and but where do I start because I do think and I don't know what your thoughts are on that but like there's almost a trend these days of people talking about how they're like emotional eating coaches or the compassionate and I those people are coming from a very good place I completely understand it but I think sometimes they're speaking out of turn and speaking about things that are a little bit higher level and do require more therapeutic approaches so sorry I think I've asked you about 10 questions in that one (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is my problem (laughs) yeah I got yeah I can relate to this you know I get a lot of questions about you know from young coaches whether I'm working with them like actively or not um but you know one thing I often say to people is like look you don't you're not expected to know it all right now and you're not expected to be covering it all right now and there isn't really an opportunity cost for furthering your education like not really like to an extent yeah you might see if you're gonna go and sign on to one course you invest time and, and resources into that that you can't invest elsewhere at that moment in time but you know think about the areas that are interesting to you and then try to develop those now um I think learning about sort of behavioral psychology is important. Learning about communication skills is really important. I think that's one of the the biggest thing for coaches. Like if you want to be an effective coach, um, yeah, this this is from my standpoint and and my beliefs. You know, some people might argue with this, but I I think a, a client centered approach is the best way um as opposed to being a drill sergeant so and i mean and it's interesting because this overlap i know i was saying to you just before we started like there's so much overlap with the, the counseling and therapy degree i'm doing and just coaching skills so you know one of the um well sorry many of the like one aspect of therapy is this idea of person-centered therapy right which is basically the same thing as what i'm talking about here is client-centered coaching person-centered therapy essentially the same thing but you know having dialogues with your with your clients about this stuff um being able to ask good questions is so important so you know you you need to approach these situations where someone might be struggling with the behavior the implementation with a level of curiosity um no judgment um and understanding that this is like a collaboration between you and your client to try and figure out what's going on giving your client autonomy is a good idea so you know having them involved in the decision making process and so you're not just like talking down to them as as an authority figure um and just trying to understand where they're coming from so that's you know ties into the empathy point that's so important in say a therapeutic setting um the uh, unconditional positive regard is another feature which is basically just non-judgment um and then, yeah, being able to ask good questions, so open-ended questions, right, rather than questions that just have, like, a singular answer, because that'll open a, a dialogue to explore whatever the situation is. So, you know, instead of saying, you know, oh, why didn't you, you know, follow the plan this week? It's like, you know, I saw that you may have struggled with this element uh, of the implementation this week. Is, do you have any input on, you know, why that might be? or what's going on there is there anything we can you know discuss there that might make this more um effective in the coming weeks you know that's the kind of approach to take with it uh and certainly not just i don't think anyone listening to this will be this way but like not just just try harder next yeah week. that's well, some coaches are like that you know um and, and i think 
frustrating when you hear that you're like oh yes that's gonna help somebody <laughs> and look I think there's like a, maybe a small percentage of people that 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 fits with right so maybe yeah. like the most hardcore bodybuilders maybe are expected if they're working with a hardcore bodybuilding coach that like I'm going to tell you what to do I expect you to do it I still think bodybuilders are people first and foremost right even if they are uh, I don't know <laughs> as one I don't know <laughs> yeah so I mean there's obviously, elements, there's obviously elements where that's um you know more true but like definitely for like more gen gen pop people like people aren't maybe uh, hardcore athletes like I think that's a, an important point to consider so you know resources in terms of looking at behavior psychology or habit change you know Atomic Habits is a great book to look at um as well as James Clear's website um you know he has a lot of good stuff on there which I mean that's kind of one of the best books you can probably read as a as a new coach and or not as a new coach either um because that's super super helpful you know the book Switch um, by Dan and Chip Heath is very good in terms of like talking about again behavior change and, and how to facilitate that um motivational interviewing has a huge level of value I think in the coaching um relationship because it is a it, it'll teach you things like how to ask good questions and how to you know elicit change talk or you know help people when they're finding it a bit more difficult now the background of motivational interviewing is in addiction and, and and that sort of stuff but it has been kind of modified and there is a book for motivational interviewing in fitness and yeah. yeah 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 um so that's that's a really useful resource um so there are some of the the better books I think I mean the yeah there's just so many there's so many pieces you can take from so many different areas like there's not a a one-stop shop necessarily yeah. like the I will say the precision nutrition level two cert that I did was was excellent um you know that that gave me a lot of snippets of all this stuff to them to then develop from there um, and then obviously the we have our nutrition certification now as well the triage method one which you know is obviously I'm going to say it's fantastic but it yeah. is fantastic. Uh, no uh, it is it is <laughs> <laughs> um you know so the, it gives you different pieces like you know doing kind of values work with people you could learn that from say the happiness trap which is you know acceptance and commitment therapy and I mean that's like a, a lay person book as well so you know for every kind of you know book that you'll find on the shelf and Eason's there's also a textbook probably to go with that if you are looking to learn a bit more like and that applies to the different therapeutic approaches as well so yeah it's um it's hard to pick like just a one one place but those are some ideas in terms of uh, getting people started there's an excellent um you know the great courses series that yeah that you can get on we can get them elsewhere we can get them on audible for for quite cheap um for just the lectures but there's one in there called effective communication skills which is like one of the best things on audible in my opinion right. like it'd be top three so you know that's obviously just applicable to people because we yeah. all communicate but you will be able to take a lot of that out as a coach and then actually apply it yeah that's no that's really interesting and I think like that's why I read so much like yes it helps me um to whatever develop myself that's great but also 
like so much of what I say to clients is stuff that I've taken from books you know like I love reading the kind of like obviously Atomic Habits is amazing but even just the more philosophical things because it allows me to ask clients questions about like you know what's important to you in life like and even just the concepts of you know being mindful and observing your thoughts like all of these things really help when you're you know maybe you've got cravings or you're hungry or you're frustrated and yeah I think like people forget that it's great to know all the knowledge about the science but we're coaching people and people are um I was gonna say weird weird I mean weird is the word I mean like we're all and I don't mean that in a bad way but I mean like we all have our own little things and I have them like other people have them and I think when you can start to understand yourself a little bit better as a coach because I understand myself better it helps me understand clients better I think as well that's why like I go to therapy as well because I'm like well I need to know myself in order to help others know themselves um but yeah I could talk about coaching philosophy all day but I know a lot of people listening to this probably aren't actually coaches I'm sure that would have still been really really interesting for them to hear but I definitely want to dive a little bit more now into um the relationship with food side of things because I do think it is really important and again something that a lot of people struggle with maybe people struggle with and they don't even realize they struggle with it because it's maybe felt so normal for them their whole lives so I think the first thing I'd love for you to just discuss or define is what is a good relationship with food and what does that look like how can we maybe start moving towards that if we think we're in a position where we don't have a good relationship with food yeah for sure um so one way to look at this, not necessarily the only way, or at least not without nuance, but one way to look at this is that all eating behavior is on a spectrum, right? Or on a continuum. So the same continuum on the far left side, you have say normal eating, right? And then on the far right, you have eating disorders. And then towards that right-hand side, you'll have disordered eating. And obviously it's, you know, it's a scale of going from normal eating towards disordered eating, towards eating disorders, if you end up at that extreme end right um so a good relationship with food will look more like being on the normal end and what does that look like well that's that's i would say somewhat loosely defined i don't want to say this is like a very very specific um definition because as we go through it you'll see that it's like there are, has to be some nuance to it okay so normal eating essentially if you want to sum it up is like being able to eat when you're hungry and be able to stop when you're full and that's kind of a one sentence <laughs> summary of it. Um, but within that, you will also see things that like, you know, emotional eating is not normal because that doesn't actually, um, you know, relate to just eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full, right? Because you're not hungry in that sense, right? You're kind of emotionally hungry, yes, but you're not like physically hungry. Um, but then to expand on that, it's a case where, I suppose the how you think about food and, and its role in your life. And this also ties strongly into body image as well, to be fair. So you can't ignore that element of it in, in this discussion, but it's an easy relationship, right? It's like any good relationship. It feels easy. You're not stressing about it. It's not taking up a lot of your headspace. You don't have like different concerns or worries, or you're not ruminating about your approach to your nutrition um and essentially doesn't interfere with your life uh, in some sort of negative way that's that's how you can sum it up and came up with this analogy that's it's kind of like walking a dog right so you could be walking a dog who's like you know very well behaved and 
you know there's not there's no um tension on the lead right they're just walking kind of casually beside you you don't need to think about it versus a dog that's pulling you in all different directions making the, the actual process quite difficult for you um that's kind of an overview of how i would view a a good relationship with food versus a, a poor relationship with food and like i said it for the most part not in all cases but for the most part a poor relationship with food is somewhat is somewhat driven by body image concerns right because you know you have to ask the question like why is this person trying to exert this kind of uh, control over their diet or why are they worrying about it so much that you know they're engaging in, in maybe disordered eating practices so um if you're trying to improve it you know you first have to assess where you're at on this continuum right and you know like i say there's a lot of nuance to this because you know a lot of people especially who have like physicals and stuff like that they may find themselves like if they just go by this like definition that oh shit is my or my behavior is disordered because like, i was gonna ask that i was gonna say based on what you've just said there does anybody who has any sort of physical have a bad relationship with food like if if i'm dieting i'm not gonna eat when i'm hungry i'm gonna eat when i can so does that mean that if i am dieting with the goal of changing my physique even if it's just for lifestyle and i allow myself to go hungry does that mean I have a bad relationship with food? You know, because I mean, like even here that I was like, oh, <laughs> my entire job is giving me relationships with food. <laughs> um, no, obviously not. But, you know, I do think like, it, 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 and it's interesting. It's an interesting topic, I suppose, because like you've said there, you know, I suppose it is a bit divorced from what the normal um, definition of a good relationship with food is. So how can we as coaches or just people who are trying to maybe improve our physique and health navigate that i suppose yeah i think so no you're right because like yeah if, if you just use that kind of loose definition then so many people are just going to be falling into that category because it's like you know like, like you said if you're dieting you're not necessarily just eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full right um i think the kind of intuitive eating principles are pretty good at like conveying what a good relationship with food is but yep. then you also have to remember the place that that was coming from is to help people that have just been like stuck in kind of yo-yo yep. diet patterns seeing like fluctuations of their physical and mental health as a result and basically trying to move them away from kind of crappy dieting practices so like it doesn't obviously apply to everybody but you know within that there are uh, examples of um honoring your body right and and honoring your health right and and engaging in practices that will support that so within that sort of a framework i know you know intuitive eating is not meant to be like for dieting or for fat loss but if you take some of those principles you can still be trying to change your physique while you know respecting your body and kind of being compassionate with yourself and not being overly self-critical so i often think it's about like the attitude that someone is approaching this stuff with and what does it cost them in the process you know so you think about like your life split up into different sections of a pie chart of all the different things that are important to you you know is a huge chunk of that pie just made up of like you know dieting and trying to change your physique at the expense of other things and if it is then it's probably in, an, in a more poor relationship with food um side of things but like 
you know, 100% for people doing like physique prep and stuff like that. Like, you know, if you, if you, and I mean, I suppose like you can't say that that's normal eating, right? Cause it's not. Oh no, it's not. No. Uh, and I would never say that either. I'm not like, oh yes, everybody's on prep. They have great relationships with food. I, I know that that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. But then it's, it's, you know, you're doing it as part of a sport. You have an exit strategy yeah. and you, you can't understand what, what, is going on and look i think you know we both know that a lot of people's relation to food gets a lot worse like yes. as, as part of doing prep um but you know that's a trade-off for you know engaging in the sport and doing what you need to do yeah. it's not necessarily a bad thing but yeah if we're talking about these definitions then yeah obviously obviously it's not a, a normal relationship with food but um it doesn't mean that well at least i don't think so i don't think it means that you, you know can't pursue physique goals while having a good relationship with food it's just you know what places are coming from you know are you respectful of yourself are you compassionate with yourself um and is it coming from the right place so i know it's a bit of a it's a bit of a wishy-washy answer but that's the way i would think about it yeah no i think what you said there is true and i think what you said about um your attitude towards it um is massive and i think that's something i can see in myself hugely that's changed over the years so like i've always tracked everything you know i've always weighed everything and stuff but i can see that i'm a bit more relaxed around it now you know i have memories of say like going on holidays a couple of years ago when I was dieting and couldn't enjoy it at all because I was so stressed about my calories and stuff whereas now that would never happen like I'm like I don't care unless it's like unless I'm on prep for a show that's when it's like okay it has to be 100% because it's for the goal um but if like you know say even now I'm obviously in my gaining phase off seasons I used to be quite rigid then even still and now I'm a lot more sort of relax like don't get me wrong I'm still very much like weighing things tracking things but if I have an extra spoon or, or like cook 100 grams of yogurt I'm not like oh my god you know I'm just like okay it's fine like it, it doesn't matter and I think a lot of that comes with maturity and time doing this um, and I also think this is why and I say this all the time you shouldn't be dieting all the time and I think a lot of people who maybe do have that struggle with their relationship with food it's because they're constantly trying to diet whereas because I spend the majority of my year and I try to encourage people to spend the majority of their year not actually in a diet I think it means then that when you are in that phase of this is fat loss it's a bit easier to not feel so restricted and rigid and have that kind of um, pressure on yourself because you know that it's just for the short term and it's just for the goal and then you'll be back to kind of being more normal quote unquote um but I think with all of this, it really is. It's the it, like if, if tracking runs your life, then maybe that's a bit disordered. But if you are using it more so just as a method of, you know, keeping tabs on things, I think then it's 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 OK. And yeah, I think it's it is. It's always how you're how you're perceiving it, you know, um, like. I've, I've seen I see some weird like videos online and they say something like oh if you always go for the low-fat milk you might have disordered eating and I'm like oh. or like yeah. oh if you always use fry light you might have disordered eating and I'm just thinking that is ridiculous like stop telling people those things because then I have people coming to me being like do I have like issues because I like to use fry light I'm like no <laughs> it's not you know and I think uh yeah, this is where the internet can be a great thing because it can help people in so many ways, but it can be a terrible thing because you see that sort of content and it's just a bit like, you know, people don't know what to think. It's like, 
Yeah, like, and this is where the, the context of the individual matters so much, right? Because, you know, I'll have a lot of these kinds of conversations with my clients who maybe do have disordered eating issues and, you know, they're trying to to deal with that. And it's like, for them, the ability to use just some olive oil, pour it into the pan is a, a, an outcome that we're trying to reach for them. Yeah. But it's not to say that it's like, the healthiest way to do it right because you know calorie control still matters yeah the vast majority of people are still overweight or obese in in western society so you can't just throw the baby out with bath water and saying that you know the methods you use to manage your energy intake means that you have disordered eating right? yeah. and you know, i would imagine that the people making that content are more on the anti-diet side of things yes. help at every size it's end of the spectrum you know which yeah, i don't really agree with so you know i can see why they're making that sort of content and you know i can i can see where it comes from as well you know that's people who've been really hurt by diet culture and yeah. um it's caused them a lot of harm and they want other people to be kind of saved from that right so there is a, a place for it but um you know a lot of the content as as in that example is quite misleading um so it's like it's again yes like you said it's the perception of it you know uh, someone is afraid to take a rest day from training because they're worried about what that means for their physique or their body image like that's pretty disorder right especially yeah. if someone's sick or injured or yeah. just feeling like really beat up on the day you know that's obviously not coming from a good place um but that doesn't mean that you have to take rest days either like depending on what way your training set up, like you wouldn't obviously bodybuild seven days a week, but like <laughs> some um, people try, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, some lifting and some martial arts and some like low intensity cardio. Like, yeah, you don't have to take a complete rest day every day, but if you can't, and that that yeah. prospect terrifies you, as it does for a lot of people in this situation, then that is obviously a problem. So if the the prospect of not using Firelight terrifies you, and for those people not always but i'm gonna say and often oftentimes it will be a case that they need to do using the olive oil you know yeah. because they're not they maybe aren't eating enough you know i say it's not always the case because those people could be highly restrictive but then binging here yeah. and there so you know their body kind like they might not be underweight or anything like that as a result but um yeah it's the perspective and, and perception on this stuff and you know i often say like are you trying to make these changes from a place of self-love or a place of self-loathing yeah. and that will, that will tell you a lot right yeah. and look i understand if people have a lower self-esteem lower confidence in themselves if they feel like they're they're out of shape but that's something that you can work on and you want the change to come from a place of like i take care of the things that i care about myself yes. so i'm going to take care of myself by eating well and exercising and doing those things because they are good for me not because i'm a fat piece of shit yeah. Yeah. And I, I always use this analogy with people. I'm like, think about someone in your life that you love, like you do anything for them. And then think about someone in your life that you hate you, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't try. So it's the same with yourself. Like if you're just thinking I'm shit, I'm the worst, well, you're not going to keep trying, but if you love yourself, you'll keep trying even when you mess up, even when you get it wrong, because you respect yourself enough to try again. And like, that's how any good relationship works. And the relationship with yourself is so important and again it's something that I think a lot of people don't they don't dive into when they're trying to make these changes um but it is 
so important um and i think something um as well that i wanted to touch on just briefly is kind of the difference between disordered eating habits and then a true eating disorder because they are obviously very different things and oftentimes you will hear people say i have an eating disorder but they they don't you know um i hear this a lot from people who have maybe prepped um and potentially prepped when they maybe shouldn't have and they say it gave me an eating disorder and i kind of say maybe may and maybe in some cases that is true but a lot of the times it has given them a lot of disordered e- eating habits um and they are obviously very different things you know um so what what is i suppose the difference and do you how how as a coach do you know maybe when to refer out when someone needs a bit of extra support or when you have the tools to help them to kind of navigate what they're going through yeah good questions um to answer the second question in terms of how do you know when to refer out um like you know i'll, I'll do the definitions first because then that gives context <laughs> so um interestingly the like i said it's on like i said earlier it's on this continuum of yep. normal eating to eating disorders right really the only difference is i don't know obviously it depends where you are on that spectrum but say like the furthest point of disordered eating before it crosses over to, into eating disorders is actually just down to clinical diagnostics okay. so um you're probably familiar with the dsm-5 yeah. right the diagnostic and statistical manual number five just basically outlines all the uh, clinical diagnostic criteria for um mental health issues right so eating disorders are within this as well so for example to be classed as having say binge eating disorder you have to meet certain criteria which will be you know eating a lot more than say what would be normal in an acute period of time while also feeling say some loss of control and you might eat very quickly you might do this in secret to avoid like embarrassment or ashamed of it um you might be doing it when you're not hungry you might feel like pretty disgusted with yourself as a result all that sort of stuff and you have to do that for uh three months once a week all right to then meet the uh, diagnosis for binge eating disorder but that means that if you're you know doing it every two weeks or or just for not as long then you're not meeting the criteria but you still could be binge eating right yeah, um, yeah and then with with bulimia it looks like similar to to that um description but then you're also doing some sort of purging um yeah. which is contrary to popular belief it's not just like making yourself sick but it's the most common actually is over exercising yeah okay i was i was gonna say laxatives because i know that that's a big one um, well, yeah, that is a big one as well but, yeah. but ex- exercising is actually that's yeah i guess something that i even i would never have thought of that that that's like a a purge i guess yeah and then you know kind of fasting practices as well within that too. yeah so yeah to be honest that is the, the difference like that's where you cross over the line um is when you start uh lining up with the, the dsm criteria but then you can also see that people could still be struggling with this stuff to a significant degree without you know actually reaching yeah. that uh, technical diagnosis you know um so yeah that's that's kind of the difference right so that it's not as big of a difference as you might expect it to be um based on that but then of course there's like a good bit of space on that continuum for like disordered eating and like you know so you could have like mild disordered eating and then severe disordered eating and then crosses yeah. off um 
and then in terms of uh, like dealing with that as a coach, I mean, I would recommend to everybody that they screen for that stuff, you know, so you have some sort of intake questionnaire for new clients, you put on that, do you have any history with eating disorders, like past or present, you, you let people tell you what that is, because yeah. um, in the past, you know, I've had people sign up with me who have had an eating disorder, I'm the, like the second person they've told about in, in like 10 years of their life of experiencing this, I'm like, fuck, like, I, yeah. you know, you shouldn't have got through you know, to, to me then coaching you, do you know what I mean? Um, so if someone has an active, um, eating disorder, that's potentially dangerous, you know, something like anorexia, you know, I I won't coach that person Um, and they need to get support from, you know, a mental health professional. They may need like inpatient treatment. Um, but in terms of like, how do you know, you know, where's the line for you as a coach, obviously it will depend on, on your skill set but i think the uh the humility really has to come into this in terms of like yeah. staying in the lane um so screening for it first of all is really important so straight Ask, away yeah you know where this person is at based on that and then you can decide all right where am i at in terms of helping people with this sort of stuff you know do you have training um do you have any qualifications do you have a good understanding of this stuff because like you said earlier a lot of people kind of you know portraying themselves as like relationship with food coaches and most leading coaches and like you know it just their expertise stops at you know being able to teach flexible dieting right which yes won't won't cut it for um are you sure you're not over restricting during the day (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) never heard that before (laughs) to be fair it does come up a lot but it's just yeah i get what you mean so yeah, you need to decide, you know, is it ethical for me to try and help this person? Do I have, you know, success in, in similar situations? Um, and, you know, also, like, you can you can explore that with the client, you know, have they had any, and usually this will go into that screening question, but like, have what have they done to help themselves with this stuff? Or do you know what they, a lot of times people will like, um, be attending therapy or counseling simultaneously right which is fantastic because then that allows you to just do your coaching job you know working on people's health and nutrition which is great um because you know that's something i often have to again say to the, these coaches that i mentor it's like you're not supposed to solve like yes all these issues you know you need to be aware of them sure but it's not like if you don't have the skills it's not your job to try and fix that for somebody um and another thing you have to be conscious of is is people unfortunately using coaching as a substitute for actually seeking um yes. you know better mental health support right because... I've, I've had people come to me before to, trying to do exactly that and I'm like no I'm sorry I can't I, I'm like like I can't I can't help you like you need actual help um and I think as a coach like it's so important like humility 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 I always say this I will tell people I don't know or I can't help you or there's someone better for you, you know, I think like there's no point in being greedy or taking on people. And then I think because the worst thing is you can potentially do them harm. And that's, that's what I've said to people is like, I can't morally give you macros and a meal plan when I know that you potentially have something like bulimia or anorexia, like what? I can't, I can't do that because that makes me a terrible person. And, you know, that's just not what you need right now at this moment in time. It's like, it's not to say that you'll never be able to get my help, but 
for right now it's like where, where does that priority have to be and yeah I think like as a coach yeah like look I obviously I'll take people on and I, I ask this always and it actually shocks me I've had clients tell me that they've started with coaches and the coach never asked them about mm. these sorts of things like if they have these sorts of issues and that's like one of the first things I always ask and if they do come to me and they do kind of tell me that they're having maybe overeating you know binge restrict cycles I'll always say to them like this is what we're working on first and we can talk about fat loss later because this like we need to work on this and the funny thing is as I'm sure you know when you work on those things the byproduct is that they actually end up getting the body composition results but like that always I think for me it always has to be that first thing and like I know I know when I can help somebody and like where, you know, where, cause a lot of the times it's common pitfalls or just, you know, and it is, I know I joked about there, but it is the, the over restricting um, kind of side of things. And I can help them with that. But I also know like when, okay, this is maybe gone beyond the, beyond the scope of my own practice. I suppose, do you, are there any like, I'm gonna say like red flags, but is there anything that you would look out for as a coach when you're coaching somebody that might tell you that they're maybe hiding a poor relationship with food or maybe some disordered eating that maybe maybe they didn't tell you about or you know if the, if you asked them they said no fine um and is there anything that when you're looking through maybe their check-ins or whatever you're like you're not really that fine you know because again I think a lot of people have these little things and they don't even realize that it's an issue because they've done it for so long or maybe they grew up in a household where it was like that you know I know a lot of people who maybe they grew up in a household where their parents did binge eat like you know and obviously they don't call it that but they'll be like oh yeah my mom would just eat the entire packet of biscuits every night and you know it's these behaviors that were modeled to us like and they think man like that's just normal it's normal that I just can't say no so is there anything that you would kind of look out for that says okay maybe there is something a bit deeper here that we need to work on yeah so yeah if you're not all already aware of it you know obviously ideally you would hope it doesn't get to that point but if it does um I, I suppose it's it's what I alluded to earlier in terms of that attitude towards the process like does this person appear to be really kind of freaking out about you know how much progress they're making say from a fat loss point of view are they not able to take rest days so like you you've given them their programming and it has maybe two rest days a week or something and they're not taking them and they're doing something else on those days and they're reporting that it's like well that's a bit of a bit of a red flag like if it's every week and you know you might see that their recovery is poor they start dealing with digestive issues you know under too much stress from from the protocol they're putting themselves through um you know in terms of like binge eating or you know even just overeating maybe not even necessarily binge eating but uh you know if someone is like if you're left scratching your head with somebody like apparently not making progress you know that could be masking some overeating or binge eating that they're not telling you about um because again you know a lot of people unfortunately are ashamed of it or they don't want to um let their coach down and all this sort of stuff um which is i think one of the reasons why it's so important to foster that collaborative relationship like you need to build like good rapport and, and a good relationship with your clients um because like the chances of them being more honest with you about this stuff is a lot more likely and yeah like and again, even even in those cases where people have, I do have good relations with them, doing good work, even after a while, I can come up and say, like, yeah, I wasn't quite like reporting 
how how much I was struggling with that stuff potentially yeah. or just not, not reporting at all so um it does happen and then uh could be if their diet is like extremely narrow or limited um for you know no apparent reason and I suppose seeing like getting awareness for the things that they're like stressing out about uh in the context of and how much are they stressing out about because like look if you're on a, a fat loss plan and you're kind of concerned about uh a meal out that's coming up like that's that's fine like if you don't know how to deal with that that can be concerning yeah but you know can you as the coach gauge to what degree that person is stressing out about that stuff or like how invested are they in their physical appearance above all of the things which you know again would signify that that big chunk of that pie is taken up on kind of body image concerns so those are some of the things that um that you could look out for um menstrual cycle uh function is another one uh for sure you know so so if someone is like having disrupted menstrual cycle or maybe they're amenorrheic um and like you know i say that like without good reason you know so if you're at the end of contest prep yeah you have you have amenorrhea right but you know why you have it and you yeah. know what you're about it afterwards right but you know is that not disclosed is this person run down a lot are they getting injured they're getting stress fractures um those are all kind of uh i suppose red flags that if you weren't aware of some of the stuff that someone's dealing with um yeah they'd be worth keeping an eye out for yeah yeah I think that's that's really interesting a lot of what you said there um and I suppose this is probably a really vague or broad question but you know when it comes to actually like working on your relationship with food are there any common practices you tend to employ with people or first steps that you might take or is it like completely dependent on what this person's struggling with yeah well like you like you said there a minute ago um and I'll do the same thing where you need to work on that first before if the person say has like fat loss or physique goals because it you know it removes the log from the river that's stopping a flow in in most cases in, in terms of the people we're working with um so you know when people ask the question like can you work on your relationship with food while also yeah. working on loss like kind of but technically no i suppose yeah where because like you know let's say someone starts working with you and you're helping them with the relationship with food and four weeks you know they're having any binge eating issues and stuff like that and they're eating quite normally like yes they're probably experiencing fat loss right yeah. but it, like you said it's not for sake of of trying for that it's for sake of like addressing the binge eating um issues that they're having so you, you kind of see it happen in tandem but it's because you're working on the the relationship with food stuff more so i think um but in terms of where to start with that stuff it really depends on like what someone's starting point is you know so what are they dealing with in terms of a poor relationship with food so like i know we're joking about the over restriction there the day but like genuinely eating more earlier eating a more regular meal pattern you know not potentially engaging in a lot of fasting if you don't have a good relationship with food you know i do a lot of intermittent fasting but i have a good relationship with food so it's fine um but you know having like you know because like a lot of people do fall into that trap of like i need to eat super light during the day because i overeat in the evening so i need to compensate for that yeah you overeat in the evening because you don't eat enough during the day right um and there's like you know research reasonable research on 
it seems that the more you eat earlier in the day, the better that is from a satiety point of view. Um, so that genuinely is one. I know we're joking about it, but then a lot of what I would do, like after that point, is working on, you know, so if someone has like say emotional eating, like working on what what those triggers are, like trying to identify the triggers. It all starts with self-awareness, like you said earlier. Um, you gotta gotta create some awareness around the behaviors here. And then um, you know, if if eating is your go-to way to self-soothe, for example, then can you develop better coping skills? Can you be develop better um distress tolerance as well, which is uh, you know a, a part of REBT? Um, to say, okay, yeah, I notice these sensations, but it doesn't mean I have to necessarily act on them. Um, and then if someone is is like engaging in restriction because they're afraid to eat certain foods then it will look like sort of an exposure therapy approach where you know i'll get someone to give me a list of all the foods that they're basically on their list that they can't have and then you know rank them in in order of kind of least scary to most scary and we'll start at the top and say okay let's start adding bits of these in see how you feel see what happens because then you know once people get the evidence that it's that it doesn't just fall apart for them um, they don't just balloon as well like because they ate some granola or whatever it is that will give them good evidence to say oh okay like maybe this wasn't as bad as I thought and speaking of thoughts you know doing some CBT and REBT with people really um, you know examining the beliefs that drive the thoughts and behaviors and and trying to challenge those you know so the belief that like if I eat chocolate um, I just can't stop eating right and I eat you know 10 bars or whatever so it's like well was there ever a time that you ate chocolate and didn't eat 10 bars you know, it probably was so it's like all right well that tells you that it's not all the time right um and then like what is it about chocolate that makes you not want to eat it because you know i say this a lot that you know you struggle to control that sort of food because you never eat it yeah uh, not that you can never eat it because you can't control it so then that brings us into being more mindful about the way we approach our nutrition not just solely following kind of external cues like you know using my fitness pal and, and following the meal plan like that stuff is important and they're useful tools uh especially as a scaffolding for the diet but like i said some of those like lending from some of those intuitive eating or mindful eating principles um is really helpful to to kind of meld the two together i think um because like yeah i know intuitive eating is not for like physique change right but some of the principles in there can still be used by people who have those kind of goals right um so yeah it really does depend i know that's kind of a, a very kind of fast overview of a lot of stuff there but it does depend on what someone's starting point is with this stuff like what areas of the ration for food are, are poor and you know i'll always ask people this when they sign up is like you know how do you want your relationship food to be versus where it is now and how would you know that it's much better and that will give you a really good indication of where it's actually start. Cause it's like, you know, I want to not freak out about the thoughts of, you know, going out to eat. It's like, cool. Okay. We'll work on, on that, whatever yeah. or issues are there or kind of knowledge deficits or skill deficits. We'll work on that stuff, but just having an idea of, you know, how, yeah, how would you know your relationship with food is better than it currently is. And then reverse engineering that process will, will kind of light the way. Um, because it could be so many potential things. Um, but all, all the things I said there, um, you know, are, are uh, legitimate starting points.
Yeah. And I think, I think like at, the, at, at this point, it's just really important to say that this obviously applies to people who are really struggling. You know, if you are someone who has like a pretty fine relationship with food, then, and I, it's funny because I just put a post up about this, like you don't have to include chocolate and tr- include treats and stuff because you know that for the time that you're dieting, it doesn't make sense to have them if you want to opt for like, you know, more satiating foods. But then if you are someone who thinks they can't ever have them and that if they do have them, they are doomed to never stop. That's the difference. And this is where I think people will look at content online that maybe doesn't apply to them, but they think that it does because we struggle to like kind of discern that, you know, one piece of content can't be relevant for every single person that's going to kind of consume it you know um but there was there was another point that I was going to make there oh yes I think a big thing is just education on the part of like coaches because I've had I've had clients you know working with me and like they still think that fats are going to make them fat and I and I'm like no no and you're and like that's where if you just explain to them like the concept of you know basic metabolism and physiology um it can help a lot but like and and that's so much so much of that again comes to how people are brought up um you know I, like even myself I was obviously um and you as well Brian like kind of grew up in the 90s well the 90s early 2000s that was when fat everything was low fat fats were just demonized so I can see why some people still think that um and so then I think it's just about kind of explaining to them and you know it's funny the amount of girls who when they start with me they'll be like are you sure my calories need to be that high and I'm like yes they need to be that high and then they stick to them and they suddenly get the results and they're like wow I can't believe I'm eating this much food and I'm like well the reality is you were always eating probably more food than this but you were telling yourself you were trying to eat you know 1500 calories um and it's one of those things it it it, it happens so much and I'm still like I thought we all knew that this wasn't the case but uh, obviously you know like me sitting here in my kind of office who has all this knowledge knows these things but you know that I, I was also in that position where I was trying to eat 1200 calories and trying to burn it all off through exercise like I was doing all of those things you know eight nine years ago um and maybe that should be a bit of hope for people that maybe if you are struggling with these things, you can, one day you can be as insane as I am. Um, <laughs> me, I'm, I'm definitely not giving me much hope. Um, but I think like the, the biggest thing is the sort of the psychological side. Um, and I know something that I kind of want to chat about a bit more is the kind of cognitive biases that some of us can have and that sometimes can inform a lot of this poor relationship with food so obviously like the big ones would be like you know black or white thinking all or nothing thinking um how how do I suppose you've kind of touched on it a little bit but like how do you go about coaching these sides of things I guess it's probably just the asking questions CBT sort of stuff but um do you do you find that there's like common ones that crop up a lot with clients who struggle with these things um and yeah how would you kind of go about working on them working on these things with them yeah i think i think overall yeah, it is just that kind of curious explorative approach to having a dialogue with this client about this stuff so you know again obviously coming from a non-judgment judgmental place but yeah the, like the all or nothing thinking is is a massive one because like how many clients do you have that when they sign up they say i'm just all or nothing like i'm either yes. all in or all out that's like all right well you know why why do you think it's like that you know um and often it's because they have sort of 
unhelpful beliefs about how perfect they need to be in terms of adherence to get results. Yeah. And obviously, you know, better adherence is better. But if it's a case where you're, you know, perfect, like all in for two weeks and then you're yeah. nothing or six weeks, like you're not going to get anywhere. Um, so that kind of all or nothing tying in with perfectionism tendencies, you know, so having a conversation with people about that, I was like, why do you, why do you feel like you have to get it perfect? Um, and how, like one of the best questions you can ask people is like, how's that been going for you in yes. the past? Right. So yeah, I mean, I, and I always say to people like that good enough is good enough when it comes to this health and fitness stuff. Cause like you're never, never be able to get it perfect. Right. Yep. You could like hit your calories to the specific calorie, but there's no way to actually guarantee that yeah that, that's that correct i tell people all the time i'm like calorie tracking is inaccurate so stop doesn't matter it's, doesn't matter it's <laughs> rather precise in turn but like unless you're going to go and, and like live in a metabolic ward while doing this and have yeah. all your meals like perfectly calculated for you um and then you measure the measure the energy balance then it's not going to be the case so you know just trying to just like again and like you said there like educating people is important because for a lot of people like the the realization that they can have you know 10 percent of their calories come from whatever and not see like disruptions to progress is actually life-changing yeah right? like it genuinely is like a massive boost to their relation with food because they suddenly understand that like oh okay like i can go out for a couple of drinks at the weekend and as long as the rest of my week is good it's actually okay right so right. That, like that's that is impact i know we know that stuff and we've known it for a long time yeah. that's super impactful for for somebody who's you know coming into the light on that stuff so um just to make that point because like you know it seems like basic stuff to us but it really yeah. does change the game for a lot of people and yeah. so many people aren't aware of that right because then then they're caught up in those like well i can't eat carbs and i can't eat xyz and get results so um but yeah the all or nothing thing all or nothing thinking you know, and you can you can try and help people like reframe that in terms of breaking it down into behavior goals. Like, so what what do you actually need to do? Because if it doesn't, if you don't have to be one hundred percent, and like you know, I have to probably talk about what does that look like to that person. Um, but you know, laying it out for them, as you said, educating them on, on like these are the the boxes that you need to tick essentially, and they don't require perfection. So can we go with that and can you see that this will actually work and see that you'll actually be more consistent um so a lot of this is about like discussing the concept of somebody and then implementing it and then allowing them to see that it works you know um but yeah you, you can you like uh, another one is like mental filtering like i can think of an example of that from last week for with a lady that i coach who you know one of my, one of my best clients for sure um she was hadn't weighed herself for like a couple of weeks because it was kind of getting into her head and she had a fantastic week so like it's, it's funny like it's not funny because it was like it was distressing for her initially and then we had a chat about it and she's fine but you know her, her initial like check-in uh was like you know I did all these things really well like in terms of the weeks probably one of the most positive weeks I've had in a while um training is really good like nutrition was really good I was wearing smaller uniform at work, like measurements. Well, she didn't mention this, but measurements were down as well. Um, and she decided to randomly weigh herself uh, during the week and it was up on yeah. previous. And then, so she had said all this stuff and then 
and then you know, talking about how she decided to weigh herself and then just this kind of um distress paragraph of like i don't know what i'm doing wrong like i don't know why i can't seem to get it to work this time yeah. um you know is it because of this is it because of that because i'm getting old like you know all this kind of stuff all because she just focused on the one thing yeah one number on the scales which you'd, you'd class as like uh mental filtering and maybe catastrophizing as well so yeah. your job as a coach there is to provide objective feedback right yeah. and you know act as almost like a sounding board so it's like well look you said all this other stuff about how good i know and how good your adherence was and we have metrics changing in the right direction to sit like to support your goals in terms of fat loss but you just focus on on this body weight and what that meant um so getting into again it's a lot of it is down to like the cognitions and, and beliefs about this stuff so it's like you saw that thing on the scales what does that mean so obviously this lady took it to mean that she was not doing well and that the fat loss wasn't working and you know she, she's just making a hames of it um but is that true and then we kind of challenge that because it's like well look at all this evidence you have for things going well um so what did that tell you and you know then i had to remind her about the the dangers of taking a random way in like um like you either do it very regularly or you don't do it at all kind yeah. of thing is what i would say um because you know, i think measurements are usually pretty reliable they don't tend to like flux too That's much right. but yeah. body weight is can be all over the place um so yeah that was, like catastrophizing that one thing in terms of like it means everything is falling apart is a good example but just again you being the cam coach offering objective input seeing where the client is coming from and understanding but just pointing out to them where these kind of cognitive uh distortions might be coming into it um because like that is quite distressing like for like you know i think it, i think it actually triggered a binge for her as well just for the evening because you know she was upset and she kind of thrown in the towel and stuff like that you know it didn't get out of hand but still that's like a reaction um to that stuff so i think so teaching people these kind of mental skills is very helpful um and i think you know cbt is very useful i think uh or ebt is a as an adjunct are kind of almost the same thing and um, but act as well you know acceptance commitment therapy i think is super useful because that's more i suppose it requires less kind of sit down and analysis and homework on stuff where you just kind of go with the flow and it's like all right i noticed these thoughts but i'm not going to be confused to them and i'll just carry on taking values driven action and you know that's what i need to do so i like to use like a, a combination of those things yeah. um the, the the putting expectations on themselves or the people uh, more so themselves in this context but you know when the shoulds and the musts yeah. start to pop up that's also potentially a, an issue right because that removes the person from reality so it's like well i should be in this position at this point in time like i should i should be doing these behaviors etc and if they're not you know it creates all this um commotion around it but it's like like you shouldn't be anywhere except where you're currently at right now right so let's just look at the reality and let's put your energy into and your focus into that not saying how things should be or must be you know because you know this would be an rebt um, method but it's like who is to say that it should be that way you know it's yeah. like who, who decided that um you know there's kind of 
again going off in a sort of a tangent on like the therapeutic side but you know who's said that life is supposed to be fair kind of stuff like yes these are yeah techniques around this you know in terms of challenging people's and then like not just challenging people but teaching people to do this stuff on their own and you know that's the whole point in doing these exercises again i'm kind of dipping in and out of like what i'm learning in the masters at the moment but um you know ultimately the goal is that you self-regulate and you be your own therapist um to an extent um by using these different techniques but yeah mo mostly it's just communication and dialogue and and trying to examine these kind of beliefs and thoughts as they arise and you know your job as a coach is often just kind of keeping people calm or helping them calm down isn't it um yes. not be overly reactive to what are what are essentially insignificant blips or fluxes that they may not be expecting and then so there's another one is like uh unrealistic expectations is of course a big one right so you need to either set expectations early or well that's or if you don't then you'll end up having that conversation pretty early anyway yeah. um for for a lot of people not for everybody some people are a bit more aware of what to expect but you know if someone's experience is that they lost you know 10 kilos during a six-week kind of boot camp where they ate nothing and trained uh excessively and it's like if that's their benchmark progress yeah. and anything less than that is potentially uh inadequate which is again really really interesting because like you know that person could be losing like half a kilo a week for six weeks and like for someone else that's fantastic and well, well depending on the person like for most people that's gonna be pretty good yeah but just because of the way they're framing it and what they're comparing it to it means it's shit like or they're you know making like no progress kind of thing so i yeah. mean you talk, talk all day about that sort of stuff yeah definitely i think that the negativity bias or uh, mental filtering like that's one i get all the time from clients i'll be like oh yeah my nutrition wasn't great this week and then i pull up their like their thing and like i can see that you know their average calories are perfect very consistent but they maybe went out for a meal and i'm like so out of the 28 meals you ate this week, one of them you didn't make yourself, that's still a perfect week. <laughs> like, it's funny. Um, and I do, like, look, I do this myself all the time. It's, it's probably one of the things that I work on the most in therapy. My therapist is always like, why are you focusing on that one thing when you've had all these other great things happening? So I know it's easy and I know it's obviously evolutionarily wired in us to be this way. But I think having, and, and that's why I think as a coach, my job like okay yeah it's whatever 80 percent accountability 20 percent reassurance like it's simply just reassuring people that they're doing fine and that they just have to keep going because it's at those pivotal moments when they could throw in the towel and if you can reassure them that no 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 it's okay you just need to keep going i think that that's like so much of this battle is just get like just keeping people you know giving them that motivation um so yeah I think all that's so interesting so I think I'll just quickly dive into some of these questions um I think a lot of these questions you have actually answered kind of throughout the episode anyway um one of them is what's our take on full macro tracking versus calorie tracking with the protein target um so I'll just say what I do there so for my clients who are on prep it's full macro tracking most of our meal plans because that's different all my lifestyle clients I actually give um a protein target and a calorie range target so I'll say I just want you to hit between say 2000 and 2200 calories 140 grams of protein let carbs and fats be flexible 
hit about 45 grams of fat minimum because for health but aside from that I don't care you don't need to and actually I almost think it's a bit of a red flag if I see someone's um thing and it's perfect like all their macros are perfect I'm like I'm not like some people I like that and I know I was always like that as a lifestyle client but sometimes I'm a bit like are you being 100% honest with me like I tell people I want to see the chocolate bar like I want to see the things that you're having because I don't care what you're eating I, I don't you know I think sometimes people want they because they know I'm looking in their my fitness pile and they're like oh what if you see the snacks and I'm like I honestly don't care I just want to see what you're having and that it's honest and that it's truthfully reported but that's what I do with people and I've actually found that really beneficial and um, for people who've worked with me and who maybe in the past have been very like oh I need to have my macros perfect I'm like you don't like seriously it's not that it's not that deep because at the end of the day you don't burn the exact same amount of calories every single day you know, there probably is a difference of 200 calories day to day based on what you're doing. So it's absolutely fine. You know, we're just looking that on average over time, we're in this deficit. So that's my take. And that's how I do it. I don't know what you do, Brian. Yeah, very similar. Um, I don't prep people, so I won't, won't speak that part. So for people who are like the lifestyle clients, as you call them. um, Yeah, I'm a big fan of calorie ranges, especially where people have a correlation with food, actually, because removes their ability to hit at a specific target and be perfect so that's yep. kind of interesting uh, aside on that where if if you don't have a very specific target to hit then what are you left with and then it's like oh okay well you're left with all these different intuitive eating pieces that you also have to develop as part of this so yeah, yeah. calorie range um protein uh range uh, i usually give people a fiber target as well because that's yep. a decent proxy for diet quality like not perfect someone could just get 25 grams of fiber from like a huge bottle of brown flakes or something and some fiber one bars right i was about to say a box of fiber one bars <laughs> um, oh. outside of the extremes and yeah same thing for you there like just kind of cautioning people against extremes on like low fat intake or low carb intake um and just kind of you know just make them aware that if they are training a lot and they care about that then a slightly higher carb intake will be good but yeah basically the same um same impact there okay okay well well i'm that validates me so i'm happy to use <laughs> but yeah no i find it really helpful um and i always say to people use this as an opportunity to actually get in tune with your hunger because if you're not as hungry just eat the lower range and if you're a bit hungrier yeah. have the higher range like that's absolutely fine and um, so the next question is um someone said i'm eating enough throughout the day but i'm still struggling to break the habit of eating after dinner i'm not restricting at all during the day so they've obviously been listening to what we were saying i know it's just a bad habit or cycle that needs to be changed um any tips yeah um that's that's gotta be one of the most common things that comes up with people um uh, the mean that makes some content on it but yeah, basically, one way to look at that is that you're caught in a habit loop, you know, so it's like you finish your dinner, you might eat your dinner too fast and then still feel, still feel a bit hungry. It doesn't really sound like it's the case for that person. That can be often it, like, so they eat their dinner too fast and there's still some, like, residual lack of satisfaction. So in that case, just wait, like, well, eat slowly, first of all, but then also just wait 15 minutes. And that would be, like, a, a typical piece of advice to give people in that situation is like okay you notice the craving cool set your timer for 15 minutes if you're still experiencing that craving in 15 minutes then maybe it's a genuine thing and you should you know satisfy it but in a lot of cases if it's just kind of a habit loop you know where you're you have a, a cue or a trigger of some sort like 
for I think for most people, it's like sitting down to watch TV in the evening or something, right? And that's when they're like, oh, I suddenly feel like having a snack because that's what I've been doing for the last five years, right? Um, so there's a trigger there that'll trigger, it'll lead to a craving, and then usually will lead to the behavior of getting the food or whatever it is, and then um you get the reward from that and then you learn that that works well and then the loop is formed right so you can intervene on i suppose waiting out the craving or surfing the urge uh you might hear it referred to as so just wait a little bit okay so you're not depriving yourself you're saying look i'm gonna give it 15 minutes and see if i still want this or see how much i want this and if i still want it then cool i'm gonna get like a reasonable portion out i'm gonna eat it mindfully uh, and not just like inhale it standing at the fridge or inhale it while watching TV. I'm going to pay attention to the food so I get more satisfaction from it. And that will usually solve it for most people. Yeah. I mean, like part of me was going to say, you know, like who says you can't eat after dinner? Like, is there potentially okay. uh, is there potentially that kind of co- cognitive thing there that you're telling yourself it's a bad thing that you're eating after dinner? And then when you start doing it, you kind of start beating yourself up and it starts that cycle. So it's like, why, like I I have like another meal, I guess you could say after dinner. It's just like, you know, Greek yogurt and berries and stuff. It's something I really look forward to. So like, who says you can't maybe replace that, you know, perceived bad thing with something that's still good? Um, I always find as well, just getting out of the environment. I think what happens is people like they'll have their dinner, they'll sit in the kitchen and then all the sweets are there. So it's like, get like, you know, maybe you plan to get up and go outside for a short walk after your dinner. And that just, again, is like breaking that loop. Um, Cause yeah, it's like, it, like there's something, like there is obviously this kind of cycle going on and it's just about interrupting it at one of those or even replacing it. Like I know, like Shane was always mad for like a Pepsi Max after his dinner when he was on prep because that replaced, he used to eat like whatever, a bagel and some peanut butter, you know? So it's just about maybe finding. So I think there's like a few different ways to go, to go about that. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's yeah a few different ideas there that might help. I think it's about understanding where the issue is kind of cropping up for you, and then making those little changes. Um, someone asked how to stop seeing food as numbers or as a coping strategy. That's probably a very lo- like long ended question or a long lo- open ended question. Yeah, I mean, food as numbers. I mean, you can start to remove yourself from tracking to an extent. Yeah transition away from that but then also like you know that could take a bit of time but and you know could be you know dist- distressing to an extent but that's kind of like an exposure based approach if, if someone kind of blanches at the thought of you know moving away from tracking and not knowing the numbers someone in that situation may just know the numbers off the top of their head anyway but um more acutely you could just write a list of the things that food does for you like like why why do you eat certain foods you know and what could it do for you outside of the very narrow i can use it to control energy balance so like what does it how does it actually enhance your life versus just being like inputs and well just input space in this case yeah um and then what was the oh and, and using food as a coping strategy was it yeah, yeah. so Again, that is somewhat habitual and it's kind of a, a learned behavior that you've come to understand works well. Some of that can be, um, you know, conditioned in, in, say, childhood where, you know, you're given food to soothe if you're crying or something like that, if you're down, you know, that can be part of it. But um, I suppose the problem with, with 
food as a coping mechanism is it's like so easy to access and so effective <laughs> in like in the moment you know because cool i get to eat this tasty food i it's enjoyable or potentially i just tune out of everything altogether um but what you're looking to do there is well there's a few things you could do obviously but the one of the main ones would be okay try and identify what it is you're actually trying to sue like what kind of feelings are you trying to deal with you know so what are you coping with exactly yeah. and therefore and based on that like what's what's the need that's not being met in the moment if the need isn't that you're hungry then food is not the best fit and you could replace that with something else that's obviously more positive like you know not alcohol or drugs or something like that but try and replace it with something you know so what are you actually needing in that moment you know what does what does the food do for you um and that's a question i often ask people is like how does your overeating or your emotional eating or your binge eating serve you right because it helps them get away from this idea that they're just at war with themselves um so if you can understand that like oh okay, yeah this is a coping mechanism that i've learned it's it's you know not adaptive as such um in, in it being positive but it's the best way i know how right now so what other tools because that could i add to the toolbox that i can pull out when i'm trying to meet that need if it is like self-soothing or something um what other tools could i add to the toolbox and you know you have to be creative there and just kind of write as big a list as you can and you know maybe then trim it down based on the practicalities of it um and then start implementing and see you know what kind of fits in that situation um but you need to understand like you need to notice the name what is actually going on in that moment yeah. um sometimes people's vocabulary can be a limiting factor on that so you can use the feelings wheel if you just google the feelings wheel um you'll see lots of different ways to articulate uh, emotions and um yeah it's about basically just using other things in place of food there that are more adaptive and more positive and um you know potentially then having to do some work on like or why is what's triggering this in the first place and can I do anything about that um which is a bit more of a deeper conversation but um those would be some of the the better ways to do it I think um yeah there, there's other things to consider like you can look at like the ABC model in, in or EBT as well that's a lot of letters like, the alphabet yeah. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. another way but I, like the way I describe there in more detail would be the my preferred approach to that with when someone has that issue um and you know it could be again there in some cases it could be a thing where they have to seek you know professional help you know depending on what the reason is for doing that um yeah. but if it's if it's you know not like say trauma induced or something like that then and it's more I'll say mild it's not a great word but if it's milder um something like what I described should be effective yeah I think um a good technique that I've gotten from therapy just when it comes to I suppose like handling my own emotions is visualizing them so Mm. if there is something wrong um or I'm feeling stressed or anxious or whatever it is that like you said you're trying to cope with I like to kind of imagine like where where is that in me and what does it look like and you know I really try and be very visceral with how I'm describing it you know I'm like 
Is it sticky? Is it um, spiky? Is it heavy? Is it gray? Is it blue? Is it black? And I just try and like observe it. And often when I give it that and I observe it, I also then try and visualize it like being sucked out of me, <laughs> which I know sounds a little bit weird. Um, and I just understand that like I can feel whatever this is feeling and that it actually is going to go away because everything I've ever felt in my life up until this moment has gone away. Um, and a lot of this, like, you have to practice it. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to do that once. But I think, like, even I I spoke about this in a podcast recently. I think one of the biggest things that people struggle with when it comes to sticking to their diet is they just don't know how to handle, tolerate, deal with, or regulate their emotions because we're not taught to. And I like, that's an issue, you know, like, it's like, great. I know how to calculate the area of a triangle. Uh, I never learned what to do when I am feeling anxious or overwhelmed. Um, and that's why, like, I've just, ever since I started going to therapy, I'm like, everybody just go to therapy. I know obviously not everybody can afford it and it's very privileged to be able to do so, but I can't, like, sometimes I'm like, I would rather you stop coaching with me and go and go therapy because that's probably what's going to benefit you more. Um, but no, I think there's definitely a lot of good techniques um, there. Someone asked about fear foods, but I think you did kind of talk about that in terms of like ranking them from least scary to most scary and just challenging yourself there. Um, so the last question, and I think this is probably a really good one. Um, and probably, I don't know if we, we, might, we might have different opinions on this one, but someone asked, do you think it's healthy for a previous anorexic sufferer to start a bodybuilding journey? Um, so I... This is definitely something where I say it depends because I actually do know some people. Um, the first person who comes to mind here is Hattie Boydell. She's like an Australian fitness model. She's in her 30s now. And she, when she was in her teen teenage years, did have like really, really bad anorexia. And she is incredible and seems to be someone who is very helpful, like has a very, and she talks about relationship with food a lot and stuff. So that's probably an example of someone who it has worked for. Um, I think if potentially it's been far in the past and you've done a lot of work, I don't think your pre previous eating disorder should have to define you for the rest of your life if it's something that you want to do. But if you are doing this to mask it, if you still have it and you're like, oh, this will help me because it's going to give me control, that's a big issue. So I really do think like it does massively defend. I do know a few people who have come into the space from a disordered background and do you seem to be okay? And I mean, like, uh, look, uh, people can argue, most bodybuilders, like, if you take us, like, we have disordered eating. Like, that's what we're doing. It is disordered. I know that. And again, it's the attitude and the understanding um, of, like, why, especially if you're trying to do it from, like, a big place of um, having control over your body composition. You know, like, I know some people who, like, they can't go a year without prepping because they can't stand the sight of themselves um, in their off seasons. Whereas, like, I, you know, that's not me like I, being lean is cool but like I know that the way I look now is actually how I really look whereas I know some people don't do that and that in and of itself is a bit disordered um so yeah I think I think it does really depend I think you know if you're like in your late 20s and maybe when you were 16 you had a you you know you had this and now you really want to pursue this new goal I don't think it should be that you're not allowed to because once upon a time you had these issues but I think it really depends on where you're at and just making sure that you've done that work because a prep will bring up all of this stuff if you haven't already dealt with it I think um, and maybe just going in with the acceptance that it might bring up a few you know by the end of your prep you might have some of those thoughts it doesn't mean that they're going to stick around forever you know um 
because I was definitely worried about that when I was going into prep I was like am I going to start binging again after the prep like I was very worried and it didn't happen and um, because I spent years like I think I was maybe in my early 20s when that was a big issue and I was 26 when I competed so I gave myself a long time for that exact reason I knew that I would never want to do it if it was going to be like a big issue so yeah so that that would be what I think and then again you have to remember that bodybuilding journey doesn't mean you have to compete you can just go through the process of building muscle and maybe losing fat and never going to the extremes because it's that extreme where it can be more risky um so I guess that's my thoughts I'd love to hear your thoughts Brian <laughs> yeah very similar to be fair um I would I would explore the motivations for wanting to do a yeah. bodybuilding prep like why why are you trying to do that um how will it serve you what will you get out of it what will you give up as a result of going yep. through it um but no I, I would agree with you that uh yeah, just because you might have had an eating disorder at some point in your life that you shouldn't just be excluded from living your life the way you want to do it. You know, that was the whole point of your recovery and getting better was yeah. so you can live life more fully, right? And not, you know, because a lot, like, unfortunately, a lot of uh, guys too, but you know, more so girls, like a lot of them lose like a chunk of time there in their like kind of teens or early 20s to this stuff, right? So you only get one life so if, if it's something that like would bring you a lot of fulfillment and joy you want to go and, and partake in that stuff um but i would want to someone to be pretty clear on like what their motivations are like are they saying oh it's just a good way to kind of channel my health behaviors like is it though yeah um, <laughs> so yeah no it shouldn't it shouldn't exclude you i suppose you just have to understand that you are probably at higher risk like you're in, you're engaging in risky activities based on your experience, you know, because such a large part of that is genetic, right? So in terms of, you know, experience eating disorders. So are you a higher risk individual for something like that? Like, yes. Does that mean you can't do it? No. Um, but yeah, like you said as well, you, like you'd have to be super conscientious of any issues cropping up during that process and be very very prepared to pull the plug and and making that kind of deal with yourself that if things are going in the wrong direction and you're starting to regress or relapse depending how far recovered you are um that you need just need to be conscious of that stuff because like you know i've worked with recovered anorexics who still don't have a good relation with food necessarily like yeah. they're recovered but yeah 100 kind of, their mindset and stuff like is not in the place it needs to be either yeah yeah and it's 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 not worth it like I mean if you're starting to binge or do those sorts of things in a prep like I guarantee the potential for a plastic trophy not worth it it's not and like I, I can say that like because I know it's I know it's not like I love it I love this sport but like you do have to really protect yourself um and go into it like knowing what the risks are and yeah like you said being prepared to step back if it's clearly not working because not to say again that you have to stop bodybuilding you know I know lots of bodybuilders who don't compete and they don't ever you know put themselves in that position um so yeah, I think it's, it's a good question and I think like it's definitely worth like discussing um but Brian that was a really interesting chat I have to say I think that people are going to get a lot of value from this I think we touched on so many different topics like coaching philosophies but also how to help people 
Um, and yeah, that was just incredible. So thank you so, so much for coming on. Would you like to leave the listeners with where they can find you if somebody is thinking that maybe they do need a little bit more help with this? Um, I know anybody who ever comes to me and asks me, I say Brian is the guy to go to because um, you like clearly know your stuff. So yeah, plug, plug away. And uh, if you've got any in- anything interesting coming up or whatever, you can chat about that. Yeah, thanks, Emma. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, if people want to follow me on uh, Instagram, is kind of the only uh, social media I'm active on. So at Brian O'Hengus on Instagram, um, you check out Triage Method as well. Um, we produce tons of content in in various formats across the website and our social media and our YouTube and our podcasts. So there's lots of stuff in there. Um, myself and Dean have a podcast, which you were kind enough to appear as a guest on as well um yes. that is there we haven't made any episodes in a while but there's a lot of good episodes uh, in there already um so those are the best places to, to check myself out um and and the triage as a whole as well so yeah no the main things coming up are just uh you know continuing to to dig That's into it. this um i wanted to add to that as you mentioned earlier that like you know how important it is to know yourself to then help other people so with that sentiment, we all have to complete 50 hours of personal therapy um, as part of the program within like the next like 13, 14 months. So I have to do like 50 sessions over that time frame. Wow. Um, a lot, like, that's, you're basically that's intense. Months. Yeah. So um, okay. and then actually have to start work placement uh, in the new year. So okay. I have to do 200 hours of, of like placement work with people um with supervision and uh so the, the supervision looks like basically every five hours of like sessions you do with people you have to do an hour with your supervisor um to talk okay. about so that'll start in january um you mentioned earlier like you know therapy is expensive so I'll, I'll hope to run this process through triage right and just have clients and offer them if they're clients offer them maybe free therapy or free counseling yeah rather than nutrition coaching um but i may open it up wider at a very discounted rate consider it i'm i'll technically be a student therapist so yeah very yeah. interesting okay well people should definitely watch out for that uh god well i might end up sending clients to you if that's the case um but that's that's really really cool brian um so yeah no i think this was fantastic so everybody um thank you so much for listening if you did enjoy this just make sure that you rate review follow subscribe to the podcast all of that good stuff and if you do listen to it and you get value from it we would love if you would share it on your story you can tag me you can tag brian i'll leave all of brian's information down below and I will catch you next week. Bye.